Hello, everyone, and welcome to HR Works, the podcast for HR professionals. We really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day to join us. I'm the host of HR Works, Jim Davis, and the editor of the HR Daily Advisor. This podcast aims to put valuable tools and knowledge into the hands and ears of you, the HR professional, and those tools will arm you with the best methods and strategies for attracting, motivating, and retaining top talent. Today's episode is sponsored by the Society for Human Resource Management, also known as SHRM. We're also excited to announce that this is our very first SHRM credit-approved podcast episode, so please stay tuned for information on how to get your credits later in the program. With large swaths of the workforce working remotely, some employers have growing concerns about employee productivity as well as information security and confidentiality. While some monitoring of employees will occur at virtually every organization, the degree to which that monitoring is implemented and how can be the difference between getting useful information and accidentally learning protected information about your employees. Additionally, employers are struggling to protect their trade secrets and other confidential information among employees that are outside the watchful eye of their employers. We are pleased to have with us today two attorneys from Jones Walker to discuss the issue of employee monitoring, as well as how employers can protect themselves from trade secret and confidential information threats. First, we have with us Joseph Levine, a partner at Jones Walker. As a lead attorney on Jones Walker's trade secret and non-compete team, Joe focuses his practice on prosecuting and defending claims of employee misconduct involving trade secret violations, unfair trade practices, non-compete violations, invasion of privacy, computer fraud and abuse act issues, theft, and related disputes. He also advises clients on employment policies and practices and regularly negotiates employment agreements for employers. We also have with us today PJ Key. He's also a partner at Jones Walker. PJ regularly represents clients in federal and state courts. He has been on trial teams that have not only successfully obtained and fended off injunctions related to trade secrets, but also prevailed on the merits at trial. PJ also litigates other complex commercial and employment matters that involve breach of contract claims, business torts, fraud claims, fiduciary duty actions, defamation claims, invasion of privacy claims, wage and hour disputes, Title Seven claims, and appellate advocacy. Thank you so much, Joe and PJ, for joining us today. Thank you, Jim. We look forward to it. Yeah, thanks, Jim, for having us. Absolutely. It's it's my pleasure. Um, we're really excited about this being a Sherman credit, accredited episode also. So uh, an extra thank you for being part of that. Um, we did do a reader survey uh, ahead of time to just ask if any HR professionals had questions about these topics. We got a few and one of them was, to what extent can we monitor employees if they're using their own equipment at home? Um, naturally, this is a situation that's arisen probably more than we'd like. You know, many employees got sent home at the same time the organizations are really taking a careful look at their budget. And, you know, not everybody did the due diligence of making sure that people had company equipment at home and, and settled for people using their own computers and devices uh, at home. So that means... There's some considerations there. Uh, any thoughts? Yeah, Jim, this is Joe uh, Levine. I, you know, when thinking about that question, I think it raises a couple of, of different legal issues for HR folks to, to consider. One, obviously, is the privacy issues. Um, you know, can you monitor these folks when they're utilizing uh, their own equipment? Two is, is potential FLSA issues, Fair Labor Standards Act issues. Uh, you know, you have these folks who are working for home, from home. Uh, are they working more than 40 hours or not? And are, are they required to be paid overtime for that? 
Uh, three, obviously, protection issues, which we'll probably focus more on here today, protection of trade secrets and confidential information. Uh, and then four, productivity issues. Uh, are the employees actually performing work while they're at home? Uh, and, and how can you determine if that's the case or if they're, uh, if they're just sitting on the couch watching soap operas? So, I, you know, th- I think those are the four things that that, that, that question raises. Um, you know, on, on, the, on privacy issues, the answer is no. I mean, from a practical matter, you would not be able to uh, monitor an employee's personal laptop just because you wouldn't have the, the access to do so. Um, now, could you, if, if, if you ask the employee, hey, we want to be able to monitor you on your, on your personal laptop and we want you to sign an authorization that allows us to do that and we ask you to please provide your laptop to us so that we can provide uh, tracking software on it, then yeah, I think you could. But short of that, uh, then, then the answer is is no. You should you should you cannot from a practical uh, standpoint and should not uh, try and track an employee who's utilizing uh, their their personal device. Yeah, those are some good points. Let's just talk a little bit about how that changes when people are working from company property in their homes. Yeah, so company property is, is a little bit different. Uh, a you know, generally the company will have the ability to monitor those devices and accounts. And when we talk about devices and accounts, typically we're talking about um, a a computer, generally a laptop, uh, cellular phone, um, and then uh, email accounts, cloud-based file sharing accounts, those sorts of things. So when the company owns those things, uh, it has greater discretion uh, to monitor them and see what is occurring within those within those devices and and accounts and systems. Now, with that said, um, we still should have companies still should have policies in place that inform the employee: Hey, this stuff is company equipment. These are company accounts. You have no right to privacy uh, when utilizing these devices and accounts. And the company has the right to monitor them. Um, and and look to see what's going on in those devices and accounts. Um, I'll tell you just kind of a quick side story. Uh, we, we, again, handle lots of trade secret theft, unfair trade practice cases, and many times we have the FBI involved in those cases when it's serious cases of theft. Uh, and we put the information together and provide it to the FBI to, to assist with their investigation. And always the first question that the FBI asks us is, do you have a policy that states you have the right to obtain this information uh, that you're providing to us? And if you don't show them that policy, the signed acknowledgement from the employee that says, yes, I understand these email accounts belong to the company and they have the right to access them and, and, and take information from them, then the FBI won't even look at the, at the package of information that you provide huh. to them. So um, it is important. Uh, to, to have those policies uh, in place to avoid potential invasion of privacy claims from the employees that they say, hey, I did not know that you were monitoring me or looking at my emails, then uh, they may have some uh, some type of invasion of privacy claim against the company related to that. And Jim, just to, to piggyback on that, this is PJ. Um, that's one thing when we get a call from an employer or a company asking us to look into, you know, maybe some sus- suspicious activity. You know, it's one thing we want to make sure we have is something 
some kind of acknowledgement, something in writing showing that, you know, the employee was at some point advised um, not to expect that any uh, communications on company computers or company email accounts, uh, that they'd have any expectation of privacy. And we want to see that before we start doing our investigation. So uh, from the HR side, I, I think it's extremely important uh, to make sure that there is some acknowledgement, some signed acknowledgement that the employees who are allowed to use company computers and, and company email accounts um, are acknowledging that they understand that there is no expectation of privacy. Yeah, that's a really good point. That was actually a question that we got asked was, you know, do we have to disclose what monitoring we're doing to our employees? Um, and I can only imagine that with the move to home, I know it's been over six months since most people got sent home, you know, the policy that may be fit, and, and we're definitely going to talk about policies a little bit more later on, but the policy that fits for an in-office uh, environment doesn't necessarily cover you when you send people home because there's going to be all kinds of new situations, right? Yeah, well, again, the, the policy ge generally covers the, you know, all of, all company equipment, um, devices, and accounts. Once they go home and if they're utilizing personal equipment, then the company should, at that, at that time, uh, reinforce the company's policies related to confidential information and trade secrets and say, hey, look, this stuff is confidential and proprietary. And, and you know, really the best, best practice would be you cannot, while you may be using your computer at home to, to, to work, we do not want you to download any confidential proprietary trade secret information to that uh, to that device. If you need access to that information to do your job, um, you need to access it through um, a, a company-owned uh, portal that the company has access to that does not allow downloading it. So that's really the best practice. And 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 again, you would you would, with respect to the monitoring aspect of it, you wouldn't be monitoring what they're doing on their device but you would be able to monitor any activity as it relates to the confidential information and trade secrets that you're really worried about protecting. And you will, will restrict the downloading of that uh, to, the, to the, to the personal device. And one thing, you know, that could be, you know, a quick edit to a, a policy that was drafted with the expectation that employees are going to be predominantly working from the office is, uh, just to include um, some language that extends um, or makes very clear to the employees about the expectation of privacy, that if they're, for instance, using Citrix or some kind of uh, remote session from their private computer, but still logging into the, you know, the company's um, network and using those email accounts or accessing company documents, that when they're in that Citrix session or remote session that there is no expectation of privacy there either, and that mm. an employer could be monitoring um, what you're doing. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, and I, before we get a little bit deeper into the information security portion of this podcast, there was one question, and I've actually asked um, a number of people this, and I, I can't seem to get a good answer. So I hope you guys are ready. Um, <laughs> Mostly it's been because I've been talking to people that aren't lawyers um, and they don't want to make a stand one way or another. But it's basically, 
you have the situation where lots of people are on Zoom calls or other kinds of video chat calls in their homes. And, you know, uh, any good HR person worth their salt knows that you there are certain things you don't want to know about your employees, because once you know them, there's things, t- actions you have to take. And that includes any kind of protected information, like the presence or existence of a disability um, is a really big one. And, and let's use that one as an example. You know, you may not know that your employee, say, has diabetes, for example, mm-hmm. but they're in a, a video call and and through some fault of theirs, they left some of their medication out or something like that. You know, we're really, and not everybody has a home office. So a lot of people are in kind of chaotic situations where they're in a corner, they're in a closet, they're in a, at the kitchen table. You know, if they have kids running around, it's a chaotic situation. I know quite well myself what that's like. Um, what, what should an HR person do when they see something like that, if anything? Yeah, this is Joe. So, you know, that is a, that is a difficult question. Uh, raises several different things with, with, with your example, with the diabetes, obviously uh, the ADA comes in the, in the play and whether or not now the company needs to say whether they regard the, the individual as having some type of disability. I mean, I, I, I think you would just take the practical approach of it and say, hey, look, you know, I noticed you have some medication out you may want to, um, you know, you, you, you may not want to have that there. Do you have it there on purpose? That sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, now down the road, you know, does that, does that raise an issue? Should you, should you document that and say, Hey, um, I had a zoom call with Joe and he had medication out and it was disclosed while well, inadvertently to me that, that he had this issue. Um, you know, the, I don't think that there's a requirement that you do that, uh, but but typically in the HR world, as all of your listeners probably know, um, it, it's generally better to document something than not, and that way you have a record of it and say, this is what happened. Now, obviously, you can't take any type of action against the employee based upon any disability or any other protected uh, uh, category, uh, but, but I do think that it would be um, a good idea to, to, to document it. And another, Jim, another idea just, you know, thinking about ways to maybe prevent it is, you know, for Zoom calls, if you can uh, require participants uh, to use one of those virtual backgrounds to where all you see is the face or just, you know, the body and you can't really see anything else. I don't know how practical if you can really you know, if you can really put that into practice and enforce it, but it's, it's just an idea um, of trying to prevent that situation from happening. Yeah. I can just imagine that's really good advice. I can just imagine, you know, the court cases that are going to come up where, you know, someone's going to claim discrimination, a wrongful termination, and they're going to say it's because of my disability. Employer is going to say, we didn't know about that disability. And then the employee can say, all but they saw it on my on our Zoom calls or, you know, something like that. And it just seems like a kind of a brand new situation. Yeah, it is agreed. I have not seen that yet, but I uh, would not doubt that it's that those types of cases are coming down the pipe. Um, let's switch gears over to information security. Um, I know it's always a concern for employers, um, or at least it should be. Um, I'm kind of curious if you're seeing more interest in this area or field uh, since the pandemic has started. Well, I, I think 
that there's always been an interest in protecting a company's confidential proprietary and trade secret information. Uh, generally, what we hear from clients is that that, along with the human capital, the employees are really the, the, the lifeblood of the company um, that it needs in order to, uh, to be successful. So I think that, it, that it's always been a concern uh, of, of, of companies. Um, now, obviously, with the pandemic and with folks working from home, people have been thinking about, hey, have I done enough to protect my confidential proprietary and trade secret information? Do I need to do things differently now that I have a workforce that is working differently, working in a more remote capacity rather than, um, you know, in the office? So I do think that that type of, uh, of those types of concerns have arisen. Yeah. And we're, you know, we're in a unique situation now. I mean, there's always been remote workers, but it's never been like it is now. You either had organizations that had a remote workforce, so they already had the policies and procedures in place to deal with that. Or you had companies where someone was just home for a couple of days and, you know, they, they had a system for handling that. But now you have all these organizations that just send everybody home. You know, it was, we need to send them home right now. And then we will deal with all the other stuff later. And I look at all that other stuff as kind of like a, a pipeline because they really had to, organizations really had to prioritize what they were going to get to and when. And anytime you have a situation like that, things are going to drop off the, off the, the docket or, you know, they're going to fall out of your view. The things in the beginning of that list are going to get done first. And then the other things might, might be forgotten about, you know, at the same time you have employer employees at home with all this access to trade secrets, confidential company information, there might be in a tender situation, they might be financially strapped, which are often, you know, um, motivations for people to perform, you know, to uh, unethically, I guess I'll say it. Are you seeing an increase in in cases surrounding privacy concerns or, or cases where employees are being, you know, caught in the act of, of stealing information? So, Jim, this is PJ. Um, I don't think we've seen an increase just yet because, you know, one thing with information theft is usually the motivating factor is you're getting ready to leave to go either start a competitive business or you're going to a competitor, right? So right now, I don't think too many people are, you know, since the pandemic are have the opportunities to really switch and go to a competitor um, at the moment. Um, now people are have been laid off and by necessity or will be staying in their field likely and trying to go to a competitor. But I don't think we've seen um, a big increase just yet. Uh, I think it's likely coming. But really um, with the information theft, it's it's usually when times are good and their employees have a lot of opportunities. That makes a lot of sense, you know, and part of what's happening now is, you know, I just had this situation just yesterday, a colleague of mine was let go mm -hmm. from our organization and now they have to have a discussion about how does he get his equipment back to them? You know, our office isn't open and they, you know, basically closed the building. Um, it's one of those cases where like, let's say you have 
uh, a chief technology person, you're going to let them go. You would do some preparation before you let them go. You know, you might restrict access. You would have a whole process and you would be very much in control of what that looks like. Now they have all the stuff at home. They might have backups. They might, you know, you just don't, you just don't have the same level of knowledge about what's happening. And you have this window between when you say, you know, we're sorry, but you, you know, we have to let you go. And when you might get regain access to that equipment. Yeah. So Jim, this is Joe. Correct. Um, and, and, and so companies need to be more diligent than ever in planning out those terminations. If, if you know you have an employee that has access to um, and possession of uh, confidential proprietary trade secret information that is important to the company, um, you, sh- you should have a plan as to how we're going to, how, how are we going to uh, conduct this termination and what are we going to do to make sure that we get this information back uh, from the employee at the time of, of termination? You know, the, 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 I guess the, the old way that it happened, you, you know, someone always got fired on a Friday afternoon and they get called into the office and their email got shut down and, and they had their, their the devices uh, were obtained prior to uh, the termination occurring. Um, obviously that that's not the case when you have someone who is, who is working remotely and the individuals who are responsible for, for getting that information are working remotely. Um, it is, it, it is going to be more difficult, uh, but possible and should be done if the company really wants to make sure that they're protecting, uh, that, that information. I'll, I'll give you, you and the listeners, another quick story. Um, Please do. we had a, a, a client that. Um, had an individual that the client was based in New Orleans, Louisiana, um, but it was a national and, and, and in fact, international uh, business. Had had uh, The head of uh, Asian sales actually lived in New York, uh, multiple trips through um, New York, um, I'm sorry, multiple trips through Europe and Asia. Um, he was suspected of uh, theft of information and uh, starting to form his own business and misappropriating business opportunities for that new business with uh, our clients, uh, Chinese and European agents. Um, because of that, uh, the company, again, the company had all the proper policies uh, in place that they could monitor uh, the employee's equipment. The equipment was all owned by the company. Um, they were able to real-time monitor the employee's uh, WeChat uh, conversations with the the, the company's agent uh, Asian uh, agents and European agents uh, to confirm uh, its its suspicion of theft of opportunities and theft of information. Uh, because of that, uh, and and there were there were a couple of other employees of the company that were engaged in the conspiracy, um, mm-hmm. none of which were in the same area. Uh, of I think we have one in New York, one in North Carolina, and maybe another one in, in Pennsylvania. So the company um, decided to terminate these individuals, obviously, and had uh, we, we had the evidence of, of the theft. So we had uh, police uh, um, authorities go with a representative of the company to the ha- to the houses of the individuals simultaneously and uh, get all of our get all of the equipment and information back, and then at the same time immediately filed an injunction in federal court uh, to prohibit them from utilizing uh, any 
confidential proprietary or trade secret information that they may have taken from the company. Uh, so obviously that is a very extreme uh, uh, scenario. Uh, but, you know, if, if, if there's a situation like that, uh, there are steps that you could take to make sure that you're, you're getting your information back and, and protecting it to the best of your ability. I really like that story. I'm um, obviously not because there's a bunch of criminals, but just it really illustrates what kind of coordination would be required to ensure you're protected even while you're taking taking action. Yeah, and Jim, that's I mean one thing we always um, emphasize in, in any seminar or, or presentation that that Joe and I give is is within the organization. You know, there really needs to be good open lines of communication between HR, for instance, and IT. And, you know, if there's some activity going on that looks abnormal, right, a lot of downloads happening from this one employee or this group of employees, you know, that, that needs to be communicated um, within the organization to see, is this a a problem? Is this a, a potential issue that we're going to, or is this normal business and, and that there's a reason for it? Um, but that's where the real-time monitoring and just being aware of these issues can uh, really come into play and, and help the company out a lot. Yeah. And, you know, it's part of what you're talking about represents new aspects to traditional problems. And one of the things I wanted to talk about today was um, what you guys are seeing for, you know, as the as the employment landscape changes and evolves, a lot of companies have had to rapidly take up new technological solutions, uh, whether that's communications or, or file sharing or whatever it is. And that, of course, leads to new threats um, and, and new new liabilities. What do you what are you guys seeing in the way of novel trade secret and confidentiality? threats, if anything. Yeah, Jim, this is Joe. I think, you know, traditionally over the last, I say traditionally, say over the last five years, there's been four or five um, typical uh, modes of theft. Uh, kind of the low hanging fruit one is email. You know, someone has confidential proprietary trade secret information. Uh, they send an email from their company address to uh, a personal address or some third party, a wife, a friend, uh, perhaps the competitor where they're transmitting that information. Um, there is, you know, really old school, just printing it, printing it off and having a copy of it and sticking it in your briefcase and walking out the door with it. Uh, there's utilizing uh, external uh, thumb drives or hard drives to do download of information from company systems to that external device. Uh, there's transmission of, of, of information through web-based file sharing accounts like Dropbox, OneDrive, uh, uh, Google Drive, that sort of thing. So th those are the typical ways that we're seeing information uh, be transmitted. Uh, you know, I'll tell you, and, and there's kind of two aspects to this. You know, now we have all these Zoom calls and video conferencing, um, and that is a way that you can transmit uh, information, um, even, you know, even though it may not be, uh, the, the physical documents, or, or I guess you could, if you're, if you're giving access to the screen, uh, but that's a new way of, of transmitting. We haven't seen those cases yet, 
but I could see that coming down the pipe. Um, mm-hmm. and, and actually, there there have been cases related to Zoom uh, when when you know a, a, a company says, "Hey, this is my trade secret," um, and in order to be a trade secret, you need to take steps to maintain the confidentiality of the of the 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 alleged document or information. Uh, and courts have said, "Well, look, you actually transmitted this through Zoom." without the confidentiality features, and therefore you did not take the steps necessary to protect that information, and therefore we don't think it meets the definition of trade secret, therefore you don't have a claim. Um, so that, 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 is, that is one way in which you know, the, 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 the Zoom aspect of things does have an effect on trade secret cases. So Jim, uh, you know, one, one way to, to put it is the methods of, of information leaving the company and are are kind of still the same. We know about them. It it hasn't changed with remote working. I mean, there's still those downloads, cloud-based accounts, email, but working from home and these kind of remote sessions um, where information is shared, the threat really is on the company to change the way they protect their information, right? So Normally, if you have a non-disclosure agreement with your employees, you restrict access in certain ways, that's usually enough to show that you're protecting information. But like what Joe just said about the Zoom call, you know, that's a novel approach to doing business. And if you haven't, as a company, aren't taking the steps to protect those sessions and make sure they're confidential and that there's passcodes that are used and you're changing the meeting IDs, courts can say you're, you have lost the trade secret protection that you once had. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, um, one of the other things is that not everybody's either in the office or at home. You're seeing a lot of hybrid scenarios, you know, which I can only imagine involves, you know, new or, or alterations to the kinds of threats you see for a, a number of reasons. One, the speed with which everybody went home, and in some cases, the speed with which some people have been brought back sort of on a part-time basis. Two, you have less people in the office, typically, when you do have people working in an office or at an at-work environment. A lot of places are doing like uh, shifts with only half the people coming on one day. Or in some cases, some places have an open business that say you can come work if you want to. Uh, you don't have to. You can work from home. In those cases, you might see offices or, or workplaces with almost no one uh, giving people that are entering that, that workplace uh, unparalleled level of access and privacy, um, a smokescreen, really, to do whatever they're going to do. You know, it isn't typically um, when, when, when theft occurs, it's, it, one of the things we look at is when, when was this employee accessing the information and downloading the information. Um, you know, we had a, we had a case uh, here in Louisiana where an individual went in in the middle of the night and downloaded all kind of information. This was a while ago, so it wasn't even external hard drives. It was actually on CD-ROMs. Uh, but we could determine that the, that the information was accessed uh, like at midnight. Um, and, and those are all good things to, to, to show the court and, and, the, and the jury you know, if, if someone really had a legitimate purpose of downloading this information, would they come in, you know, on the weekend after hours or, you know, at midnight and download the information? 
And so to your point, now that may not be necessary because no one will be in the office on a Tuesday at two o'clock or, or, or much fewer or far fewer people will be there. So it makes it much easier for the employee uh, to, to access and download uh, the, the confidential proprietary information without really being questioned uh, because there's no one there to question them. I would just like to remind our listeners that this episode is sponsored by the Society for Human Resources Management, or SHRM. Save time, remain compliant, and let the SHRM store be your trusted partner. We work with industry-leading partners to offer solutions and tools that help you remain agile and current within the new world of work. Imagine the time you could save with the tools that help you deal with OSHA, FMLA, and compensation requirements. Take the hard work off your plate and let us do the rest. I want to really get into the details of policies that can be implemented to handle these concerns. I know we talked about it a little bit earlier, Ron, but uh, would you guys be comfortable discussing uh, in some detail what kinds of policies people should be making sure they have in place? Yeah, sure. So obviously we talked about some of the the, the policies that you want to have in order to protect um, your right to uh, to search company equipment and accounts, uh, the, the email policy, the, 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 the company um, computer use policies, those types of things. Um, but with respect to the information itself, you know, first and foremost, you need to have a confidentiality and non-disclosure policy, a policy that tells the employees, hey, we have confidential proprietary and trade secret information. This is what that information is. And you cannot disclose that information or use that information unless it's for the, uh, the betterment of the company or the furtherance of company business. Um, you know, so that's kind of first and foremost Two, you know, depending on the type of employee that you're dealing with, you know, do you want to have some type of non-competition or non-solicitation agreement? Um, that, that is a, a, a much easier way to prohibit an employee from using stolen trade secrets than it is to actually investigate, determine theft, and then prove that, that, that employee now has it and is using the information if the employee is prohibited from competing because of a valid and enforceable non-compete, uh, non-solicit agreement, uh, then then that would would also prohibit him from using your trade secret information. Um, also, uh, cell phone uh, policies. Uh, a, do you want to have a policy that requires the employee to use company cell phone? Um, again, if this is an employee that's going to have access to lots of confidential and proprietary information, that's probably a good idea uh, to do that. Um, uh, you know, there should be a, a, a integrity policy that says, hey, it is against company policy uh, to utilize information uh, for the benefit of, of third parties. Um, so those, those are some of the policies that, are, uh, that, that, that companies should have in place. Um, and then, you know, with more of a remote workforce, uh, to PJ's point earlier, um, you know, some of those policies can be tweaked or really just reinforce and, and tell employees, look, even though you're working from home or you're in this hybrid setting, uh, we still have these policies that are in play um, and, and that, uh, you know, you need to abide by. Uh, and, and actually, there's, there's additional things, uh, threats that you as an employee should be concerned about and be thinking about because, you know, really protection of that confidential and proprietary information uh, is for the betterment of the entire company, which obviously includes the employees. So we should be telling 
uh, you know, companies should be telling the employees, hey, you need to uh, be careful of outside threats, malware, phishing um, um, uh, attempts to infiltrate the system. You know, if, if we have if you have people that you deal with on a regular basis um, who now are contacting you from alternate phone numbers or email accounts, are those legitimate inquiries from uh, that individual or is that some type of attack from an outside source? So all those things need to be, um, I think, communicated to employees and, and, and reinforced in, in writings to them saying, hey, these are things that you need to be looking at and concerned with. Yeah, it's a good point about the the phishing attacks too. I mean, I've read a lot about um, increase, basically increase by scammers that use these types of techniques since the pandemic started because they see they see the vulnerability. Um, you know, you know that with people working from home, they might be using different devices, different locations, different IP addresses. You know, um, and, and they know that that people are disconnected from their, their work in a way that maybe they're not used to. Maybe they didn't usually use a lot of text communication with their, their boss because they sat right next to them. So maybe they don't know their writing style. So when they get an email that's different, you know, that sounds different, they don't, don't think anything of it. Right. And another thing, you know, this is PJ. Uh, Joe and I, we prim- primarily we, we're litigators um, in this space. And, one thing you know that we really like to see is and to use as evidence in these cases is that you have all the company has all these policies whether it's standalone policies or it's you know a part of the employee handbook and that you know the employee has acknowledged it um, acknowledge that they understand the policies acknowledge that um, they're going to abide by it and that there's repercussions if they don't we also really like to see the standalone, at the very least, non-disclosure agreements where um, it's very hard for the employee to say, you know, well, this policy's there, but it was buried, uh, you know, in this big stack of papers that I got when I was onboarding and I never really looked at it. I never understood it. No one ever told me about it. Um, so I really didn't know. Um, so having that a standalone non-disclosure agreement um, is very helpful, very good piece of evidence if you if, if things do go awry. Um, I think it also, um, employees do remember signing these kind of standalone agreements. Um, and I think these policies, really, they're not supposed to, they're not intended to, you know, help the litigators um, in a potential case, they're really meant to stop the activity that you're trying to prohibit. Um, so those standalone agreements, I think do go a long way in doing that. We also, you know, just in, in terms of for your listeners procedures, what we emphasize all the time is it's, 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 you need these policies in place. This is, that's step one. You have to have them, but, You don't want them just to be part of the onboarding package. You really want to be creating a culture in your company where employees understand the importance of this information and they're all trying to help out and protect it. So, you know, doing, making it part of the annual training or or 
whatever the companies do in, in, in terms of training employees, just making it part of that in some way. Um, even if it's just 30 minutes, just having it part of just kind of the corporate culture um, that everybody understands and it's important to keep the business information protected. And, and to PJ's point earlier, to also have interaction amongst departments as to the importance of it and how to make sure that that the company is having ongoing steps to protect the information and monitor and so that everyone's kind of on the same page. So if, if someone in HR sees a red flag, they can go talk to IT about it or vice versa um, so that you know everyone's on the same page. One of the things that I'm curious about is, you know, let's say an organization has all these policies in place, they've done a really good job putting together. How far does that go in protecting the trade secrets of that organization? So Jim, so just fundamentally, um, it, in a case, in order for a piece of information to be a trade secret, you have to prove that you took reasonable measures to keep it a secret, right? So courts will ask, well, what did you do? You know, okay, you're claiming this is so important and it's a, a secret and be devastating for it to get in the hands of a competitor. Well, what did you do to protect it? And these, the things we just discussed, that is the evidence, right? That is what you put on to say, look at all these steps that we took. Right. Um, so if you don't have it, it you a court will most likely say that is not a trade secret. You did not take res- reasonable measures to protect it. And and, and to P, again to PJ's earlier point, you know that's kind of step one. Look, we have all this stuff in in place. These are the steps that we took to protect it. That may get attacked by the defendant and say, yeah, well, you had the policies and the procedures in place, but you didn't really enforce any of them. You allowed people to to take information home with them. You allowed people to download it onto their personal uh, uh, devices and utilize personal thumb drives. So that's why it is so important, like PJ said, to create the culture of, hey, not only do we have these policies and procedures, but we have them for a reason because this stuff is really important and we're going to enforce them. You cannot um, do the things uh, that, that these policies prohibit. And when you have that type of evidence, uh, that, that, that is kind of the, the home run evidence that uh, you would have to prove that first aspect of a trade secret claim that, that you took adequate protection. Can you just talk a little bit more about um, sort of the new kinds of procedures that organizations have had to put in place you know, to to meet their new policies or to, to reinforce their existing policies? Sure. I, I think um, just on the, the procedure side, I mean, the advice we give is, you know, with the remote workforce, now is the perfect time to reinforce what the policies are, right? That, you know, we have these... Um, confidentiality policies. And even though you're working from home, it's just like you're working at the office and you need to be taking even extra steps to protect the information. And um, and we emphasize that the communication should be that the company and on the IT side is, is making sure that everything's protected too. Um, we're trying to make uh, this transition to remote a remote workforce as seamless as possible, but we're, we're not going to 
um, compromise um, these policies. Yeah, and 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 going further on that, you know, like we talked about earlier, um, you know, if the company has confidential proprietary trade secret information that it wants to protect, best practice is not to allow it to be downloaded to personal devices. Um, you know, I, I think the company should reinforce that and say, look, um, while we know you're working from home and you may need to utilize personal devices, this information is not to be downloaded onto those devices. All this information is going to be kept in a company-owned database that you may be able to access, uh, but only by using proper credentials uh, with firewalls and protections in place so that that information can't um, uh, be downloaded. Uh, you know, little things, uh, other little things that you could add, you know, you cannot access that system from any type of public Wi-Fi. You need to use a secure Wi-Fi um, um, source to, to, to access that remote. You know, you need to have a, a VPN or, 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 or two-step multi-factor authentication in order to get into uh, this, this uh, system that has this information. And so those are the steps that companies can take to make sure that that important information is being protected. Every situation is unique now, it seems, in, in what works and what doesn't with the remote workforce. We have been advising clients as well that it's probably a good idea to engage your outside counsel um, to, to help with some type of trade secret audit, just to help you understand and make sure that everything is being protected when you do make this transition. And, you know, it's just a, it, that audit is, is, it's just a good time to, to really think about things, brainstorm and make sure that what you think is, is sufficient is actually doing that job. Yeah. You know, we've talked a lot about, you know, the, uh, the employer side, but what happens when an employee comes in from a competitor Maybe they're bringing information with them that they don't own. How do employers protect themselves in those scenarios? Yeah, Jim, great question. I mean, lo lots of um, we have lots of cases like this and clients that uh, that basically hire a lawsuit. Uh, they don't intend uh, to have someone take confidential proprietary information, uh, but it just so happens that you know they hire an individual, and that individual has downloaded uh, tons and tons of information. Um, so kind of step one is uh, what should the company do in order to prevent that from happening? Um, so, again, it, it kind of comes to communication um, when when hiring and particularly from a competitor, um, you should have that employee sign an acknowledgement that states uh, that they do not have any type of non-compete or non-solicitation agreement that prohibits them from working for you or from soliciting any customers. And two, that that employee has not uh, taken any confidential proprietary trade secret information uh, from his former company and make it well known to the to the individual that the, the company um, does not want any of that confidential proprietary proprietary information and does not want the employee to use any such confidential proprietary uh, or trade secret information. Uh, and if you if you have that acknowledgement, that's kind of the the first step to to cover your base, and uh, and of a potential claim, uh, because what what usually happens is, um, you know, the company, uh, the the former employer 
you know, conducts an investigation and determines that this information uh, was taken, and then they'll send a, a cease and desist letter, um, usually not only to the individual, but to the, to the new company. And once you get that, um, you'll be able to, to, to ask the employee about it. And, and, and if it turns out, yes, this person did take that information, then obviously you want to um, cut ties with them uh, immediately. Uh, but you'll be able to show the, 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 the company, look, um, here's the acknowledgement. Um, uh, we, we did not want this information. We didn't ask for it. And, and, and you know, we, we, we are, we are going to cut them loose. Um, again, assuming that, that, is, that, that, that they have evidence that the information was actually taken. Of course, you want to you investigate that. Uh, but, you know, the pitfalls there are, um, A, obviously litigation that could be filed uh, against your company, two potential criminal charges against you. Again, if you were actively involved with the, uh, the, the misappropriation of the information, or if you knowingly utilize the information, uh, once, um, once you were aware that it was the other party's trade secrets, uh, and then, and then, you know, again, aside from the criminal aspect, uh, the, the civil litigation, not only will be expensive, uh, to defend uh, paying attorney's fees uh, and costs, but also uh, potential damages and bad, bad press from uh, um, in the industry related to, you know, some claim out there that, that you are a, a trade secret um, violator. So I can only imagine, you know, even if you didn't know, you know, let's say you don't have one of those policies in place. Uh, you didn't know the information that you were, your employee, your new employee was acting upon was stolen. And let's say a few months have gone by and you built business on it. You know, even if you, you know, in good faith, you, once you find out, you tell everybody, you fire the guy or girl, you do whatever you can. You still ha- would have to forfeit quite a bit of your business I and mean, represent quite a, quite a bit of loss, I imagine. Yeah, so so the claim would be the, the the claim by the former company would be, you know, even if you did not have any malicious intent uh, to to take that information and and use that information for your benefit, you still got the benefit, and therefore, um, you know, the, the the benefit was ill gained. While while it may not be um, directly at at because of your actions, uh, you still. Uh, unlawfully benefited from uh, from their information and therefore should be entitled to, to, to those damages. Now, I will I will tell you, I've, 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 we've had lots of cases where, you know, an employee has has left and is working for a company and has been there for for several months. And, and generally, once it once it goes that long, um, the employee has kind of been um embedded within the company and is adopted by the company and the company sticks by them. I've, I've had very few cases. In fact, I'm trying to think, I don't know that I've had any that have gone, gone that long. And then the, the company said, uh, Oh, wow. We now realize this individual is a bad guy and did things that he wasn't supposed to. So we're going to cut him loose. And the fact of the matter is, you know, if you have someone that is, that, 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 that has all this information, um, and is and is utilizing it to, to grow the company, uh, the company or the executives at the company, the people that are interacting with that employee, most likely knew or should have known that the information 
um, what was was from somewhere else and, and probably should not have been being utilized by them. Um, it's interesting that sort of circling the wagons that you see. Uh, it's hardly the only example of when that kind of stuff happens, but it always surprises me. And Jim, you know, when you know when HR is aware that you know we're getting ready to hire this person who's everyone's excited about um, a lot of experience um, is coming from a competitor it may be worth a call to your outside counsel just just to get advice on what you couldn't be doing what you should be doing have we done enough um you know any specific advice i should be giving this new employee anything i should get him to sign um just an an outside a call with an outside attorney is not a bad idea in that situation. It could save tons yeah. of money, time, um, it, just just to reach out and, and get thoughts. And I have done uh, with clients that have high turnover, typically in a in a Salesforce setting where there's lots of turnover between competitors. Uh, I've actually done internal seminars with them and come up with plans of what to do and not to do when hiring those folks um, and, and kind of put together a procedure that says, look, these are the steps that we're going to take. If we know, you know, employee X is available from uh, competitor Y, these are the things that we're going to do to make sure that we're not crossing any, um, any lines and, and conducting any uh, unlawful actions. Um, so again, if, if if any of the listeners are in a situation like that where there's lots of hiring of, of folks and and here you know whether or not they have non competes or not in this case that I was talking about they actually did have non competes um, but um, but obviously non competes are, are for limited periods of time and in limited geographic areas so you could still hire individuals that have a non compete as long as you comply with those non-competes. So if you are in that situation, it is a really, really, really good idea uh, to have a plan uh, when when hiring the, these types of employees from competitors. Fantastic. Well, um, thank you so much again, Joe and PJ, for taking the time to join us today. Thank you, Jim. We really appreciate it um, and uh, appreciate your listeners taking the time. Well, thank you, Jim. Absolutely. It's our pleasure. And listeners, we are always interested in what suggestions you might have for what we should cover next. Please feel free to reach out to us on Twitter at HRWorksPodcast. Any thoughts, concerns, ideas you have for the podcast in general? I would just like to remind our listeners that this episode is sponsored by the Society for Human Resources Management, or SHRM. Save time, remain compliant, and let the SHRM store be your trusted partner. We work with industry-leading partners to offer solutions and tools that help you remain agile and current within the new world of work. Imagine the time you could save with the tools that help you deal with OSHA, FMLA, and compensation requirements. Take the hard work off your plate and let us do the rest. And now for the part that some of you have been waiting for. This episode is SHRM credit approved. And in order to get your SHRM credit, you just need to go to hrdailyadvisor.com backslash SHRM code. That is hrdailyadvisor.com backslash S-H-R-M-C-O-D-E and enter your code word. The code word is remote. Thank you for listening. This is Jim Davis with HR Works.